Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it is Act 2, Chapter 62. We pick up on the gray, murky afternoon of Wheel Day, the 7th of Neth. It's around 4 p.m., gathered on the Selen Starling. Roni and Dora have finished their counseling session, and Roni just might be starting to ask himself some questions about exactly how much the dead Dr. Vaticus could really be behind everything that's going on, and how much little Dabwick could really be a part of the grand conspiracy. I mean, he's still drinking the Kool-Aid, but he's probably starting to question the taste. <laughs> Grip and Dabs have returned from their foray into town, bought and sold some loot, at least to the limited degree that this shuttered up town would allow. It occurs to me that Centilar Rui would probably have asked to walk back to the ship with the two of you to do his daily rounds. And as you all are uh, talking right now, he's probably down in the hold checking out Sholn, Cassandra, Little Pop, and Harrison Leak, the four souls that you saved from the cells below Fort Halecourse, seeing if they're ready to return to their families or whether they need some more bed rest in the care of a group of nurses. We left last time with some revelations that sprang up from Shuln's story about his time in the cells. Roni remembered some of the content of the play, The King in Yellow and the ancient, ancient history of Carcosa that it tells. I'm picturing that this conversation has probably moved upstairs and away from everyone else. Roni's still sitting in that weird place of old knowledge finally coming into hazy view on the walls of his, uh, his mind palace. <laughs> Dora is probably reeling, I'm guessing. Uh, an old vision, one of the first in this campaign, just got placed into context for her. The vision of Eric and the violin, which she's still carrying. You know, it took place in an unfamiliar city, but the large building that he was standing in front of that I was kind of uh, a little sketchy about describing, now that you've got some context, is definitely a theater, or maybe it was an opera house. Unknown for sure, but it's immediately clear to her that some theater troupe in that unknown city, Paris, just got far enough into a production of The King in Yellow to unleash Carcosa upon that unknown place, Paris, in the middle of a war, and Eric was somehow trying to use the magic of his violin, or his own magic, unknown, to protect the people of Paris from the encroachment of Haster's realm upon their planet. Did he succeed? Will she ever know? Hard to say, hard to say. So we're still making some decisions about how to handle the adventuring portion of today and hadn't fully wrapped up those conversations. But it was sounding where we left it, like maybe clearing out the rest of Fort Hill course will be the idea. We'll see. Uh, since Roni and Dora have been holed up for therapy and Grip and Dabs were in town, I don't think conversations with the ship dwellers have happened much yet today, but they definitely can and will before you all leave for the day if you want them to. And before we pick up with the main party, I'm actually curious now about our backup buddies. They have also had a crazy day and a half. What's the what's the past 24 hours or so been like for them? We haven't really checked in with them properly today. Uh, Stasi's been Stasi has been contemplating her responsibility here. Um, with the people? No. Or into the town? 
with Bates. Oh boy. Um. Oh, as so she's the oh. arm of the Farazman Church that does the unpleasant things. Yeah. And doesn't complain about it, right? So, <laughs> if the accusers were here, what would they do with someone who dragged, who from their perspective dragged a soul out of? the process that that is death um but but stasi is also not a farazman diehard you know like she believes in the tenants she knows her job but the part of the job that she likes is the doing of things the getting stuff done having a a, a list to check off and and you know do, uh easing the way for people yeah, and we know um, taking that, that the in a ten-year-old kid God. for crimes against Farazma is not really her bag. Yeah, a kid she fought against. I mean, not, she fought with side by side against uh, the scum on the night of the Great Harvest. Yeah. she knows he did not mean to do this. That he was not trying to circumvent Farazma's will, but he did. Yeah, <laughs> and a soul suffered for it. It. T- t- Based on what she heard and saw, yeah, Ray didn't want to be there. Yeah, that's how she interprets. No, he, he made that very clear, right? So, uh, she's been keeping to herself hmm. and trying to determine her responsibility here because her moral center says, "I can't take this kid in uh, for doing something he didn't know he was doing." But she's also not someone who's going to go to him and be like, do you know what you did was wrong? Like, she's not that person either. That's someone else's job. So it's sort of leading to a crisis of her own faith of what 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 is my responsibility to the church? What is my responsibility to myself? What is my responsibility to my community? And I don't think she has an answer yet. But she's been keeping an eye on Bates and what he does and how he interacts with others on the ship. Yeah, and the person to whom she would have, before any of this happened, to whom she would have most likely gone to... Is dead. Yeah. Ask these questions to. She's she's gone. Yeah. And the equivalent person in town is gone. All of your authority figures in town are gone. She is the authority figure on Phrasma right now. Oh, boy. And she does not want to be, for sure. That is not... She is not a decision maker. She is an executor of other people's plans. So in the in the absence of other people's plans, I did. I said I came in this morning saying I did a lot of reading of Farazma, and I didn't do like a ton of reading. But one of the most best things that I read this morning was that one of Farazma's things she does is promote the illusion of free will. She does not actually believe people have free will; that everything is fated, everything is going to happen the way it's going to happen, no matter what. And yet she waits until someone is before her to pass judgment. Mm-hmm even though she knows exactly how a person's life is going to unfold, the cr- maintaining the illusion of free will for people is important to people. <laughs> and she doesn't interfere with that. And uh, I think that's where the part of the dogma that Stasi's um, contemplation is lingering today. And Bates in- was going to do what he was going to do all along. She couldn't have stopped it. She can, if he's going to do it again, he's going to do it again. She can't stop it. It's it's a very well. That's not true. Unless I mean, she's fated to stop it. Unless she's, she's fated. fated to. Yeah. In which case, she doesn't have any choice anyway. Like there is no choice. She doesn't have a choice. 
What's going to happen is what's going to happen. All she can do is figure out how she feels about that. That is a, that is a, let's label that as a pretty diehard view that is not shared with the majority of the world. Sure. You know, um, fate did actually die with Aradin. Yes. I, yes. But Farazma took up some of that portfolio. Yes. And uh, I think this thing that Stasi's leaning into says a lot about Stasi's beliefs. It does, yes. <laughs> it's great. But that's the thing that means the most to her out of yeah. all of Farazma's dogma. That's It wild. certainly does. And what about Barnabas? Um, I think Barnabas uh, felt the, like, he felt the loss of Ray. I think more than anyone else on the boat that wasn't a part of the original four, he spent the most time around Ray. Oh, my God. So many days. <laughs> he was in um, the party. Yeah. He was in the party. Since and chapter 16. So he, he has spent this last day furiously writing and singing to himself and writing, and he's been very aware uh, that Dora has been in this therapy session or whatever. He, I don't know that he knows that that's what it's called, but he hasn't been wanting to intrude. Mm-hmm. But he is very aware as soon as you're done and would, would like to have um, a word in Excellent. private with you if you would uh, not mind. Of course. Um, first of all, I'm so sorry for the loss of Ray. I know he was important to everyone, but I, in our time... Also, when he walked up, I think he was originally in his natural form and then um, quickly shifted to uh, human. Yeah. Um, <laughs> during our time together, I know you had a, a special bond. I do not know what it was, but I know you had something, so I'm very sorry. Thank you. He was a complicated man, I think, yes? To be sure. I have... Assuming that we've been leveling at the same rate as the other party. <laughs> yes. Um, Even though you've just been laying around here. I have, um, but I have been watching. I have been seeing. I have been, <laughs> my sweeping skill is increased dramatically. <laughs> I, I have written a song, a new oh. song. I have discovered a new song. It will be the Ballad of Ray. And those who hear it, I hope, will be able to gain some of his uh, comfort and healing. But... Dora, I cannot help but notice how you have been scratching yourself, um, the back of your neck, yes? If you will forgive me for being presumptuous like this, it sometimes looks like a compulsion, not just a physical itch. I only say this because I have seen this before. Do you ever, do you ever know the feeling of having a thing that you definitely want to say, but you know you cannot say it? Yes, I know that it must not be said. Of course, no, of course it must not. I spent some time as a group called the Sentinel. Well, before that, I was at the Synchromacti School I was thirsty for knowledge, you know, I want to know everything that there is to learn about the demons and where they come from and how to fight them. And I found this tome once that was, I had the feeling in the back of my head, do not read this tome, do not read it. But of course I kept reading, I kept reading. And then I saw a name. I 
think you know what I'm saying? I know the name you're referring to. I immediately destroy this book because I know it cannot ever be seen. I found this group called the Sentinel, who also, I had a lover once who, unfortunately, knew the same things that we know. She found this group, the Sentinels, who they all knew this name. And their plan was to provide a merest trickle of devotion to the enemy, to the invader. But in the meantime, focus the majority of their strengths to make sure this name never gets spread. And we would try to dull memory with magics and drugs and, and it worked and it seemed like a home and it seemed like a place that it would, that we could do it. But then I learned that the ultimate end for everyone in this group is to be sacrificed to the enemy. And so I ran away. I ran away to Briarstone where I tried to dull my brain with drugs and drugs and drugs and it worked for a very long time. Until the earthquake and then I woke up. Am I correct in assuming that the rest of you knows this name too? Roni does. Grip does. But not Derboy. Understood. Ray knew it too. Well, thank you for letting me talk to you. I thought maybe you would want to know that the three of you are not alone in this. I thank you. Did you ever find any reliable means of suppressing it short of drugs and... No. Senselessness. No. We did not. They made it seem like that was something you could find the longer you spent with the sentinels, but no. Who intended to sacrifice them? Whoever was still in the group. I mean, eventually everyone would, as you grew in the group, as your, as your standing as a group increased, you would start to learn and you take on the responsibility of it is now your job to send people on their final way. Perhaps there is somewhere we can safely learn more about our condition and how to put an end to it, short of giving in to it. That is my hope as well. That seems rather like a book six thing. (laughs) (laughs) But... We'll see, I suppose. I have not read this book yet. (laughs) (laughs) Don't read any books in general. It's very, very dangerous. No, I have given up. I just Uh, write songs now. (laughs) I look forward to hearing your song of Ray. And I thank you again. Of course. I have a question about that. Yeah. Is it that every single death of someone who knows the name helps sort of open the world up a little bit more to Jamandor? Like bridging that gap, or is it just the knowing, or do the, we are we aware of that? Yeah, I think you would understand it based on the check that you made back in uh, Jane's den. There, you would understand it as the moment of knowledge is a blossoming seed that 
helps Jamandor grow larger. If enough people know it, then it can get big enough to consume the world, basically. Or if enough people pour enough worship into it. But it does seem like killing people that know the name, you know, does stop the flow of energy. Prunes the branches. Yeah, yeah. So that was the Sentinel's ultimate goal. Kill everybody who knows the name. The Sentinels were actually hoping to keep Jamandor asleep, essentially. Like, the thought with that cult is put enough devotion, a thin trickle of devotion to keep to keep it dulled and slumbery and f- like 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 it's like, it's like a being methadone fed. amount yeah, of devotion. Like lulled into into complacency. Mm-hmm. But of course that result that means they're actively they're, they're worshiping. worshiping and then yeah. at a certain point, like you know, like Barnabas said, at a certain point they would get far enough along where the rest of the and it's a cult. We'll call yeah. it a cult. The rest of the cult felt like now this person has to be killed because they yeah. now are too great a risk. Yeah. Because they know too much. They're too deeply connected. They maybe have transformed enough. Whatever. Yeah. They might. Like, and, and I also thought maybe it, you, if you reach a certain point, even if you were trying, trying, trying to keep it at bay, you get to a certain point where it's like, fuck it. Yeah. Spring break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we look at it that way, what we're really saying is Reese is kind of the hero of the story. <laughs> <laughs> she has begun the necessary process Tima. of Tima killing of the all story of you. She ordered the hits. <laughs> all right. Yeah, it's a it's it's a messed up little like subculture oh of Jamandor worship where they're I mean they're they're good people like they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to keep they're trying to keep the enemy as they call it from. Uh, awakening and acting, but of course they're doing by doing what they're doing. They're, yeah, it's very risky to them and <laughs> to the ultimate uh, end of not waking it up. That's messed up. It's very messed up. Oof. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so just think that little fox you were holding on your lap had Jamandur in its head the whole time. time. <laughs> You could have had Thank conversations. You never oh it. my gosh! <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> the, the Fox Shaman doors. Yep. The whole time oh. he was saying oh. Shaman door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's dark. Oh. That's very dark. I love yeah. it. So, uh, speaking of dark, what's going on with Bates? Uh, <laughs> Bates, that sweet, sweet, sweet eleven-year-old boy, oh, yeah. uh, has been wrestling with just massive amounts of guilt mm. and responsibility and good thinking that everything <laughs> that he had sort of relearned about himself is all wrong and that what his dad and what the priests of Verasma said way back at the beginning were yeah. all right um, and he is just you know he's he's still a little kid like you know, Eleven is old enough to know some things, but not enough to actually carry the weight and responsibility of those yeah. things. Yeah. And uh, I think that he has been sort of keeping an eye on the room where Ray's body is. Right. And yeah. um, has anybody been like in there? Is Tolman yeah. in there? Yeah. Or? I think Tolman probably spends a, a lot of the time there, looking over him in communion and just um, being the one to keep it safe until they figure out. Stasi would. 
join in that occasionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe they're taking shifts. Maybe they're taking shifts yeah. doing that. Well, then I, I think that, that I think that he tries to wait for a time where Tolman leaves and uh, Stasi doesn't tag in, mm-hmm. where it's like a little bit of a break, sure. so he can kind yeah. of like sneak in. Oh, okay. So I think he he sneaks into a private moment with Ray's body. Private moment with Ray's body, mm. and he goes in. And uh, what does what does Ray's body look like now? We're about you know 24 hours in, or a little more than a day in, but the body is beginning its natural process, and probably at this point we have. I mean, I can see Tolman checking in with Skywind about you know maybe there's some incense or something they can get to burn in there to you know keep deal with the smell deal with the smell you know and he was very well cared for and cleaned up by both Roni and Tolman so I think you know he looks as peacefully at rest as that poor troubled soul could look he was already rotting too though I don't know that that got worse got worse that it was like a one-time affliction. This is what is. Or, you know, part of that was this connection to Shaylin. She's gone. Whatever this connection to Shaylin was, that was part of the bargain or the agreement or the -hmm. whatever, and that was cut when he died. And so I think in addition to, you know, the powers now being lost, I think the the curse is lifted. Or it could be the opposite, is that the body was primed for decay and the magic mm. being gone is the only thing that hmm. kept stopped it, from, it from getting worse. Oh, wow. In which case, Ray's in a very sad state this time. Hmm. Without the soul and without the connection. Hmm. That, that would be That's what Dora fun. would expect to see if she, yeah. if she went anywhere near there, which she doesn't. Oh, let's go that way. So, troublingly oh. rotting. <laughs> oh, gosh. Aggressively decomposing. So, he walks in and sees that, and probably that's not something that they've made anybody aware of. Oh, no. And so he just probably see like, I can imagine, like, a, a sheet or something. Yeah. And he goes in, sort of like a mouse, and is going to pull the sheet back to look at Ray's face. Uh, and here's it, a voice. Don't you touch that. Who? Who's there? From the other side of the body, crouched down below it, you see Maeve stand up wearing her tiara. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? I asked you first. You're not supposed to be in here. You're not supposed to be in here. Neither of us are supposed to be in here. Keep your voice down. Don't tell me what to do. Don't you do me. Stasi is rolling a cigarette at the other end of the, of the ship <laughs> on her way. Underwear. She's like, oh, I gotta get over there and take my time, have a smoke first. Are you gonna, were you gonna touch sick, man. I wasn't... I was gonna look at him. Oh. I was looking at him, too. Alright, well... We can look at him together. <sighs> okay. She kind of gets up and puts herself together and sulks up to the... Do you wanna... Do you wanna pull back the sheet together, like on the count of three? Oh, oh okay. Alright. Who, who's gonna count? You count. Should I count down or should I count up? Just count. One, two, three. <sighs> oh. oh. What happened to him? He died, dummy. No, I mean his face. Look at him. He's all... This is what happens when you die. Not like that. I, I lived on a farm. You don't look like that a, a day after you died. Oh, I thought you did. No. 
I mean, he looks kind of squishy almost. Yeah, he looks sad. He looks real sad. Why would his body be so sad? It was me. What was you? I did it. You've never done anything in your life. It was me. I did it. I, I, it's my fault. Your, what's it? This, no, some, somebody killed him in the street. No, not, I didn't kill him, but I'm saying the reason that he looks like this, that, that's, that's my fault. I like trapped him here. That was me. No, Bates. He's an angel now because of what you did. You made him an angel. An angel? Yeah. And he's going to fly backwards in time. Angels can do that? Well, that's when I saw him. Weeks ago. He didn't look like this, though, right? He wasn't screaming. He wasn't yelling. I don't know that he looked happy, but he didn't look mad. Well, that's something. He was flying through the wall. He was flying through the wall? Yeah, and he was glowing. Like like when when I when I made him appear. Different. But I could see through him. Yeah, yeah, you could see through him here too, yeah. But you could touch him here. That he was that sticky stuff. He just was... He was light. He was pure light. Maybe he's still changing. Maybe he is. But you didn't know what you were doing. I didn't. You didn't know. I didn't know. None of us knew. I mean, I knew and I tried to tell everyone. But nobody listens to me. No one listens to me either. I don't know why we're not all up in that fort. We should be in that fort. Flying dragons to the moon from the fort. How's that gonna help with the fort? Because we'll get reinforcements from the moon. This is boring. She she starts to go. Maeve. What? 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 Uh, what? I just, I just want to say thank you. Take a knee. <laughs> what? Get down on your knee. I'm a, all right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on my knee, fine. She very dramatically pulls out uh, a, a stick sword she has tucked through her belt dabs it on each shoulder once. I dub thee Sir Bates, servant of Maeve and protector of the realm. You may not know what you're doing, but you're a good shot. Get out there and fight some monsters. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks, Maeve. We got fishmen to kill. Oh, Go kill some fishmen. Yeah. Oh, you know what? What? I saved some of the fishmen guts. And I think if we tie them to Brenton, we could play fishmen and knights. 
Brenton. <laughs> hey, Brenton. And Stasi wonders why she sees the two kids scampering <laughs> below decks, hollering, hollering Brenton's name. These people, these children are too much. She goes to take up her post. Oh my God, what a weird it's life for these kids. Oh, yeah. Maeve is the best, by the way. She's the <laughs> single best character in this entire 62 episodes. <laughs> That we've put together. She's that was lovely, my guys. She is favorite. very sure of herself. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fun, guys. Yeah. Yay, hope. There's some hope. She's a little budding cleric of Grotus. <laughs> <laughs> Dragons on the moon. <laughs> Dragons on the moon. That's the Ray song. So let's circle back to the main gang as they are finishing up that conversation where Roni is explaining these new details about Carcosa. And we're sitting on, boy, we're still at the tail end of this conversation. What do we do today? Uh, how are we going to go about doing it? We know Dabs has to meditate in, you know, about an hour or so, a little after five, the sun will set. Where is, uh, where is, all, where have all those revelations left this conversation? I just want to make sure I understand. So Dabs does their, their prep then it would be overnight, and then it's the next day is this tea party, correct? Yes. Yeah, tomorrow okay. is... So basically, we're thinking at the moment, after the way the sleep schedule has fallen, given the very long night and the addition of dabs, our adventuring block now seems to be basically 4 p.m. to midnight. Our sleeping block seems to be midnight to 8, and our other stuff block seems to be basically 8 to 4. But Speaking yeah. of the other stuff, yeah. block very quickly just to put this in someone's ear. Yeah, I believe Stasi is available for counseling too. Oh, she has a very good wisdom score. That's great. Um, Let's take advantage of that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's going to be some bleak therapy, though. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> will be. It will be tough love. It will cut you to the bone. <laughs> uh, she will be pretty stoic about it, but um, ultimately the things she says make sense. Yeah, that's a great resource. So we've got yeah. Tolman, grip, we've got Stasi. I bet Grip and Stasi would be a great <gasps> oh, that's um, a fun duo. therapy team. Um, all right, I'll be the good cop. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Whatever you say. Well, I know that they went shopping and stuff, but did that take up their entire... Yeah, that was yeah. their slot. Okay, yeah, that's their slot. All right. Because we had some heart-to-hearts, too. Understood, so understood. Um, I'm just very worried about... Grips sanity all the time. So just if that's something we want to... What am I at? Ten right now? Eight. Eight. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, we, and, and he's just... His threshold is low, so we But have where to, do I... Where does it get bad again? Like, what number do I have to hit to get a new madness well, or something? I don't know that you want to know that. 21. Little, just like in Blackjack. See, I got you got some, a little leeway. I got a cushion. Bring it on. Although, But things happen in the interim between 8 and 21 that make <laughs> and it The last couple of times, that make it it's harder. been kind of wallops of yeah. sanity damage. Fair enough. Book one I was kind of like, I took 17 once. Yes, that's right. By the way, which <laughs> puts you at 25. Yeah, which would have you out of this campaign. Yeah. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah so at the moment, Grip's got eight. Dora has five. Roni has four. And our buddy Dabs has zero. So, right. far. so far. So far. <laughs> you need a days without incident. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we doing? The last thing we had talked about was moving, taking the bodies back. Yeah. Taking the bodies from Gladiolus Hill back to the sleepless agency people, mm-hmm. letting them sort of deal with letting people know and um, dealing themselves with the loss of the confirmed loss of Cassady rents. 
And we spoke of, Dora was uh, pretty staunch last week against going up to the fort. However, it is now not 10 o'clock on a very hot night uh, in real life. So uh, Katie is more (laughs) flexible about clearing out the fort and getting these people on the ship to a safer place, probably under the care of Stasi and Barnabas and anyone who wants to stay. Um, Let's think, I think I am, to your point, Johnny, that eight hours is a long time. I'm comfortable with thinking of Grip and Dabs as being able to, maybe with Centilar Rui, take those bodies down to the sleepless agency and take care of that part of this during the course of the day. Great. Letting them know. So they've got that information. They know that, you know, Cassadia is dead. They can start working to take care of those bodies and let their folks know and stuff. Let's 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 picture that as having been done as part of this first chunk of the day. Okay. Yeah, because you're right. There's that's a long, it's a long time. Eight hours is a long time. Uh, we need to talk about the invitation to Iris Hill. I think going to that is a terrible idea. I do too. I think going to anything on anyone else's terms is a terrible idea. Um, certainly going at the time they want us to go there is a terrible idea. Um, but there are interesting things about the invitation that Dora has noted, um, most remarkably who it is addressed to, which is not us, right? Um, they don't know. They don't know. They think we are a wizard, a rogue, and a whatever the hell. And an unchained barbarian. Unchained barbarian. Right? Mostly fighter. Mostly fighter. So they don't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that that is an advantage t- to our side. All of the other advantages are on their side. <laughs> they know where they are. They know who they are. <laughs> they know what they want. They know how to get in and out of the fort. And we don't know any of that. So. Um, out of Iris Hill? Uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry, out of Iris Hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have a an astral projection that could drive us all insane with one go. So You think they control that? Well, I think she's from there. That I doesn't mean, mean they control it. Mm. We, don't, we don't know anything. Dora. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, if, you, if you want to know more about the lay of the land up in uh, Iris Hill, I do have a spell I could prepare. Oh, is it commune with us? No. It's insect spies. <laughs> what the heck is that? that? Sounds delicious, to be honest. Uh, over a, a period of time, I could send uh, some insects to go get information, details about where where this yes. place is, and give us a little bit of information. Um, of Dad, course, but I think you'll find I love any spell that gives us more information about what we're walking into. I've started to notice that about yeah. you. Tell us about that spell, Paul. Yeah. Insect scouts, a favorite in the creaking courts of Ustalav, insect scouts summons one or more vermin to investigate a single location of building you can see. Your scouts must spend 1d6 hours investigating the target location, but need no oversight. When done, they return unerringly to you with their findings, traveling up to one mile per caster level. Each insect size is fine. Each insect has one hit point, AC 20, a movement speed of five feet, climb speed of five feet, and a fly speed of 20 feet. Perfect maneuverability. The insects use your saving throw bonuses. This is fantastic. Each scout that returns passes along memories of specific structural flaws, defenses, and alarms, granting you the ability to re-roll one failed skill check per scout, as long as a skill check involves that specific location's layout, such as a stealth check to sneak in, a disabled device check to silence an alarm, or a perception check to notice a trap. 
If one scout returns, you also gain a rough understanding of the building's layout, at least any portions your scouts could access. All insight and the associated rerolls fades one hour per caster level after the scouts return. Your insects remember nothing about creatures, and so provide no information about guardians or any conversations they may overhear. Still a winner, I think. What level spell is that? Second level druid spell. I don't suppose you have it. You don't have it prepared now. So no, I don't. I have after. to. It would be afterwards. Yeah. Oh, that's super fun. That's super fun. So if you prepare it tonight, we do it in the morning. Yeah. That would be. That would give us a lot of information before we go. That's. Uh, but it's one building, right? Not like it wouldn't be for the whole compound. Yeah. Single location or building? Yeah. Yeah, oh, I think. Okay. I think. Yeah, I think you get the layout of the I think compound. He's gonna give it to us. Okay. That's Stop very. Stop questioning it. Could even send it overnight. But it could take as little as one hour. Too. Right. So. Yeah. Sure. All right. So if we don't want to go to the tea party, what do we make a counter offer? Invite him someplace where we have some. I'd like to look at the invitation a little bit more carefully, if that's all right. I mean, you've got it in your hand. Dora casts Detect Psychic Significance Hmm. on the invitation. Hmm. Uh, It is radiating a a certain uh, degree of psychic significance. It is quite warm to your hand, despite the fact that it was only penned, presumably, last night. It's had a very short period of time, but something about the circumstances of its creation does seem to carry some weight. I have psychometry available to me today. Ooh. I was going to ask to perform it on that spell book we've been carrying around for two weeks now, but I think it's more urgent to do this. Go for it. So, we gather back up in Skywind's hold. Is Dabwick part of this one now? Oh, boy. Uh, um, well, that's horrible. Uh, what a horrible question. They're coming with us. Like, um, so I feel the need to preface this. Yeah. Do you want just an offer from Polly to Katie to consider... Maybe you want to do this while Dabuk is preparing spells. Huh. Both. Yeah, it's it's a choice any which way, Katie. Mm. <laughs> Include them or exclude them. Yeah. Dora, do you think we... Uh, hey, hey, Dora. I, come here. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> no, come, come here. What are you guys talking about? Yeah, nothing, what are you nothing. talking about? I just... Uh, I might go do this by myself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Griff's like, oh, no, you're not. Um... What's the big deal? Well, you know how it works. Yeah? Where I speak. What I see. Oh. Roni looks over at Dabwick. Has Dabwick seen uh, Dora do any psychometry so far? Psychometry? No. Skywin has. Right. Oh. But it was not a good experience. Skywin probably would have shared that you can do this with Dabs because that was like <laughs> she had to back out of the room, right? Because it got weird. Yeah. I think Grip uh, might have picked up on like he. I think he knows what you want to do. Like, yeah. The, the reading. 
after the walk that he had with Dabs yesterday, oh, yeah, yeah. he is going to, like, I think he can see Roni being like, oh, should we trust them? And he will say, look, we can fucking trust this halfling, and if they're going to travel with us, they need to know what we're about. So, Dabwick, if you want to come with us, Dora can say no, because this is her thing that she does. But I think if you want to know what we're about, come with us and listen to what's about to happen. I'm inclined to agree with you, Grip, and I'm inclined to invite you, Dabwick, but I want to be clear, if you have any questions, I hope you will ask them and not simply pass judgment on what you hear. I don't know what it will be, but I would like you to trust me. What you hear may belie that. I know you're trying to protect me. I can see that, and I appreciate it. And I also feel that I really need to know what's happening. Then as far as I'm concerned, you're welcome. But I have a question. Mm -hmm. Can I stop the psychometry at any time during... No. <sighs> right? Haven't we established that? Like I don't know. I don't I, think I've ever tried. I'm just thinking, like, if someone in that vision starts to say the X name, I want to stop it. Okay. Let's... let's. Can we let's, make a roll for it or we something? We can. We can use the mechanic that you use to... Yeah, uh, the... Con the to, yeah. yeah, the concentration mechanic oh to God. release Timo. I've yeah. never even thought about that. Okay. To stop. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Dora's biggest concern. Yeah. I... I hate to do this, but I feel like I have to make a sense motive against Grip. Oh, great. Because he just spoke Rolled up. It. He Rolled just spoke it. up for In him. defense of yeah. the grand conspiracy. 23. All right. You're good. You're good. <laughs> you know. I mean, you're... I, tr I you trust You all are him. brothers. You he's, trust he's him. My, he's my brother. Yeah. He's clearly delusional. He, he about, just doesn't understand. Yes. You haven't he explained it well enough. He just doesn't understand. Love it. Great. Print up some pamphlets. I'll take a look at them. So we gather up in Skywin's hold for the first psychometry vision that Dabwick has been a part of. And this ritual that has become sort of old hat for the rest of the group is seen for the first time through fresh eyes as, why don't you paint the picture for us again, Katie, what this looks like, what you do, and how somebody who's never seen it might perceive it. Dora sits cross-legged on the floor. She has her crystal and the invitation there. And she goes into a meditative state. The crystal begins to glow. Without casting any spell. Without casting any spell, yeah. She, um, it's very peaceful. And then she begins to speak at some point as if narrating the events she is seeing. Yeah, and I think like this is eyes roll back in the head. Yeah. She's completely- It's, it's scary. It's scary. Shadows bouncing off the walls of the it's small just, room. It's your seance. Yeah. And I would think in moments of intense emotion within the vision, I would think that things on the walls might shake. And I think so. I absolutely think so. The atmosphere might get thick. You would feel it. Yeah. Sure. That there is... The presence of an obscene, a vignette happening in the room, but only she can see it. Energy in the air. Yeah. Power in her voice. Yeah, we talked about this before, and I remember one of the questions was, is this something you could do quietly? And we, and were it, like, we determined that it is not. Yeah. <laughs> or that basically... We've got this. Let's use this concentration yeah. mechanic now. If you want to do it any other way than how we've established, yeah, you got to try. You gotta try. I'm sixth level now. I should be able to fucking control my shit a little bit. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, Dora holds the invitation in her lap. 
as the light of the crystal illuminates the space which grows weirdly dark around the edges of the crystal's light. And after a minute of concentration, give me that uh, perception check, Katie. Natural 20. Oh, oh, fantastic. All right. Dora reaches out into the flow of the river of time. Images are passing by, then they're gone because this object has barely existed. Dora sees a once elegant sitting room, the same one from the visions of the bone-handled dagger. Tall windows, fireplace, round tables surrounded by eight high-backed chairs, books everywhere, the house of a hoarder. Again, Mellison is sitting at her desk in the northeast corner. A gorgeous, elegant beauty in a spotless orange dress. Similar setup as the last visions, but there are two notable differences this time. Number one, Mellison seems far from serene and in control. She looks pissed. She is gnawing at the inside of her lip as she pens this invitation. She's a pro. She's an utter pro, so the lines of calligraphy aren't showing any sign of her tension, but she is livid. Number two, there's someone with her this time. Some, someone? Something? I'll let you decide. The head of a pale elven woman with long silky black hair floats in the air next to her, trailing a four foot long sticky trail of spine and gore and viscera from the ragged stump of her neck like a long grisly tail. Jesus. This head is flying and quickly it's darting around like a jittery bat. Blood leaks from this tail of gore all over the floor. And now it's obvious that the carpet in this room is just sticky and matted with blood. The head speaks. How it produces sound without a voice box or lungs is completely unknown. I don't understand. What is the purpose of this party? Melson flashes the head, an annoyed glare. There is no party, Rumatri. Don't be an idiot. Ah, a ruse then, yes. They rest up and spend tomorrow preparing to meet us on Oath Day. They'll like that idea, a day of meetings and pacts. They'll buy it. It seems plausible and civilized. And they no doubt think we're licking our wounds. Instead, we moved Tomorrow after midnight, all of us, all together, all at once, while they sleep, and we end this. By the time Oath Day dawns, we'll have what we need again. Mellison delicately signs her name to the invitation, places a perfect little dot above the eye. Rumatri flits around to get in front of Mellison's face. Face stares into bodiless face. What about... We're a lie. Will she join us? She must. But what about her project? She's still down in the crypt, and I think her device is funny. I don't care about her fucking project! This outburst, perhaps more than anything else, speaks to Mellison's state of mind. This is a woman who does not lose her cool. The floating head of Rumatri darts back and eyes Mellison coldly. Mellison collects herself. She serves the king in yellow, just as we all do. 
tell her the plan. She will join us. She must. Rumatri drifts off as Mellison pauses and then dashes off the postscript to the invitation, and the vision ends. What was the postscript? Don't be a stranger. Right, right, right. So can I just clarify the timeline? They want us to come to them at four tomorrow so that at midnight tomorrow night they can come take everybody on the ship and perform the Great Harvest all over again. Midnight tonight. No, they want you to rest up today and while you're resting up, take you before you're prepared. (laughs) Think that, they want you thinking tomorrow's the day everything's going down. Yeah. And they'll hit you first. So this ship needs to sail and we need to get elsewhere with anybody who's staying behind. Um, And then just not be here, right? If that that presumes you're the targets. Like well, yeah, their targets sure. could be anybody right, in town. Right, but I, I don't want them to take the kids, yeah, so yeah. Well, I'm going to protect the ones I know about. Um, they know about Roni's house, maybe? Or maybe not. What do we think the odds are that they... Scum were living there. So they know about the house. Ford isn't clear. <laughs> Jesus. Every option is bad, as usual. Is that what I'm to understand? What if we clear out the keep? and stay there. Right, I'm just saying we have to leave them to clear out the keep. Agreed. Uh, so anybody, I think they should leave and that anybody who's staying behind should go somewhere else. But did the did the the plan that she was laying out, did that say they were going to come around like after midnight tonight, so, right? Yeah. Right, They're, so we have them? a little bit of time but I don't think we can count on us leaving, clearing out the keep after dusk and getting back here on time and getting everybody there. Like, that feels like a very tight timeline. But, I mean, I guess right. not if you're talking in terms of rounds. <laughs> like No, like, we like just clearing, don't know. Like, we don't know how we're going to get in. There's still four or five of the undead bowmen there. And we've been gone for many hours. So they've, with whatever they had, they could be repurposing the keep, you know, repopulating the keep, respawning the keep, whatever. Um so we don't know how, how long we're going to be in there. We were in there way longer than we planned on last time. But again, in terms of... Like, and getting If you're, if you're talking between 6.30 at night and midnight, we weren't there nearly that long. No. No. So, like, yes, it might be a very long encounter. I just but don't, I don't think, think we should leave... I don't think we should leave anybody on the boat unattended uh, for any amount of time. We don't know what... But information gathering their, they have you know like whatever if we haven't cleared the fort out yet where would people go um it, there's the sleepless agency there's the book layers there's places we'd have to go somewhere they wouldn't expect so i think Roni's house is out but book layers seems viable you have not really talked to anybody about that as yeah. a place that you've occasionally so dipped into we'd have to count on stasi barnabas and bates <laughs> to sort of keep anyone who's saying safe. It might just be the three of them. Who knows? And Skywin. And Sk- well, well, no, Skywin I'm saying Skywin should leave probably. with everybody oh. who's going to leave. I think the boat should leave. As soon as possible. Or do we want to keep the boat, get everybody off of it, and use it as bait? Is an idea? 
I'm not going to speak for Skywind, but I, I doubt that they'll be thrilled about be thrilled about using that. their boat as bait. Yeah. Plus, you're relocating a lot of people, aren't you? Yeah, the Briarstone refugees refugees are. Skywind's ready to go. They have no reason to really stay, except they've been waiting on this shipment that just seems to never come. So we should find out who's staying behind. Yeah. The book layers is a temporary measure until we clear out the fort. But then at least we're operating from a more defensible position. Is there a... Is there a do you know anything about a philanthropist in this town? I mean, they... If there was a, someone like a Myacnian Mun here, something like that. What did you say? Uh, like a, a philanthropist. Like I'm a, sorry, the name? Myacnian Mun. You, How you do know, you know that name? Oh, he's, he's a wonderful man. He's a, a really well-known philanthropist in Casimir. Really? Oh, very well-known. Very well-loved. He's, he's provided for, for refugees countless times. Very well known. What, why? Have you heard of him before? Vaguely. Well, It like, is not a name I associate with trust or good intent. I'm surprised to hear that. Really? Yeah. Dora does not want to go down this rabbit hole right now. <laughs> but boy, that threw her for a loop. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Now I remember who this is. Yeah. It's from that, that, that one vision of all the philanthropy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And the death orgies and the, <laughs> the mass weddings. Yeah. And With philanthropy. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Do you oh, know him personally, Dabwin? Oh, yeah. I've, um, I've actually done a little work for them myself. A uh, little ratting ratting work, a little cleaning up. Yeah, I'm sure you have. You know... Oh, no. God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I look over at Dora. <laughs> oh, God. That's terrible. Well, Dora can allow for the possibilities of two sure. things being true, so she's sure. not too worried about <laughs> Roni thinking she's sure, turned sure. to his side, but she does want to know more. It was in... It was actually... I'm just realizing this, you know, but it was in Mun's house, his mansion, that I first saw Carcosa in a, in a, in a painting. In a his painting like the ones you've seen here? No, uh, different, different artists. Um, so that's a very detailed angles and curves and uh, I remember I remember the yellow and I remember the shapes and I didn't know at the time but it was Carcosa fascinating Debwick when you think of Carcosa what feeling does it inspire within you hmm. oh well I mean <laughs> inspiration's a good word for it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, think, think of it like what, what I see are these mysterious like angles and curves and, 
and power, you know, this kind of combination of, uh, of cities from all over the universe, like coming together, it's, it's fascinating, it's, it's, it's almost mesmerizing. I'm, I'm so curious. Grip takes, Grip takes a small clo- a step closer to Roni. <laughs> <laughs> Not a metaphor. And do you trust that feeling, Derwick? City's never steered me wrong before. Not all cities are the same. Well, it's a city. Would it surprise you if I told you that when I think of Carcosa or see images of it, it fills me with unease oh. and more than a bit of dread? Well, what are you worried about? You would uh, like to know, wouldn't you? Not all yeah, cities are the same. that's why I asked. What, what do you what do you mean not all I mean of course cities not all cities have are the same. souls do they not cities have character cities oh, have yes, quite spirit yes so just a... as people they are not all the same they are not all good some cities are not meant to be a city that stole from every other city in the world in all the worlds and took and took and took this is what inspires you? No, it, it, it wasn't like that. That's not the way it is. It's, it's <laughs> a, like a reflection. It's like a, it's like a, a, a multi-layered reflection. It's, it's not stealing. Yeah, like that mirror thing was a reflection. If it's such a great fucking place, my friend, why is it all these people that came out to kill us that that's where they stepped through was from Carcosa? Why do you think that is? Well, well, I understood they stepped through a painting or, or, or some kind of... They were using these, uh, these towers, these um, stone pillars, the right? Stella. Yeah, the s- s- Stella. What do you mean? Why are you... You're all very upset. We don't believe Carcosa is a good place. And I have very serious concerns about anyone who would hang a portrait of it in their home. Surely you understand. I, I understand, but I, I'm confused. I'm disoriented. Did you, you the, the vision we just heard? You remember? The, the, the Dora just, the Dora just, the reading. The, yes, just yes, did. with the invitation. You heard them mention the king in fucking yellow, right? Oh yeah. Do you think that's a good person? Did you get that impression? No. The king in yellow is, instric- is intricably, instricably, what's that fucking word, inextricably. Dora? Inextricably tied to Carcos. It's their city? I don't know that much, but they're all intertwined. And you're saying they're stealing? This, this city stealing other cities? Yeah, they're trying to steal Thrushmore. <gasps> That's what's wrong with this place. Yes. The murders, kidnappings, it's all been to that end. Do you, do you suspect they were going for Cook? They were, they were going for Casimir too? I don't know. But I don't think they'll settle for just a few cities here and there. I must know more about Carcosa. And I, I'm, 
I'm with you. I, I, I don't pretend to know what... I don't know everything, obviously. But I'm trying. And I, I don't want to do what's wrong. I want to do what's right. All we ask is that you keep an open mind. Will you teach me? Will you please keep teaching me about Carcosa? What you know when you know it? Yes, I will. But I would be wary of a man like Macni and Mum. People are not always what they appear to be. Yeah, you can say that again. Yes, we often have not been what we appear to be. Well, I, I need to get prepared. The, the sun is starting to go down and... Um, what are we doing tonight? All right, so we should pull the ship to find out who is staying behind and who is leaving. I mean... And I think if they're prepared to sail, we should send those who are leaving on their way. I don't think that we can afford to use any resources to clear out the keep. I think that whether they sail away or they sail away for like the day and then maybe come back, like that's a, a different thing, but... If we're gonna if we're gonna not worry about the people on the ship, then we should go directly to the fort and try to ambush them. What are, what resources are we using by sending them away? To Iris Hill and ambush them, you mean? Yes. Oh, take oh. the fight to them before they come. Take to you. the fight to them oh. before they come to us. Okay. Huh. Mm-hmm. But if we go if we go and spend any resources to try to clear out the fort, uh, um, then we're spending resources when we know we're gonna have a giant fight later on. So I will say, Sky One. If, you know, Skywin is perfectly willing to take the ship out into the lake and come back in a day. That's what I'm saying. If that's what you're thinking, Johnny. Right. Yeah. Just like to get it out of here. But I would like to have the fort on our side. Um, I get you, but if, if... And I don't want to go to Iris Hill without scouting it. I'm not saying go, go to it without scouting it. I'm saying that that is our new objective, is to go there and hit them before they hit us. Or wait for them to come out, and when they're coming out, we take them then. One option is, of course, you know, once Dabs casts this insect spies, like, they could be back in an hour, in which case you have plenty of time to make this decision with knowledge of the layout. Yeah. Um, and they if it turns could out... could be back in six we're right, hours. Right, in, <laughs> in which case, but that, that may be a decision that you can postpone until after Dabs yeah. gets those things going, if you yeah. want to. Great, so the first thing that we'll do is send the spies. The scouts. First thing is Dab's got to prepare, but yes. Well, I mean, after that, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then continue the conversation at once you start to see... What the lay of the land is. Yeah. Are we sending the, the ship out to sea regardless? Yes, because I think what they want is... I think what they want is more bodies to sacrifice at the Stella. So as many bodies as we can <laughs> clear out of Thrushmore and their grasp... The better. Would you be willing to let me go prepare while you help yes. with the boat? It'll only take me an hour. Of course, yes. I just need some time alone. Are you okay with that, Roni? Of course I am. Good. I tap myself with the invisibility wand to follow him. <laughs> <laughs> no resources! I know I'm teasing. I'm not actually going to do that. <laughs> if it lasted for hours, I would. <laughs> but it would that only would be, be minutes. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Before I forget, yeah. and while we're still on the a lingering topic of psychometry, um, does Dora have a sense of whether or not there is more to be gleaned from that violin? Remember how the dagger, she got a low roll and didn't she, get... She does not. She does and, not think there's more to be gleaned. And the violin was not magical. The violin is not magical. Doesn't mean it do wasn't. recall like yeah. all of your starting equipment had previously been magical uh, and so it's possible it was magical could be yeah unknown it's certainly masterwork we know if that Barnabas ever sees it he's going to want to play it <laughs> right does his perform strings would that yeah. count Barnabas has almost certainly seen it oh of course yes I've been carrying around the whole time it doesn't have a bow I will say that yeah. it's just the violin no bow Right. But plucked. Barnabas could be working on making a bow. He would certainly know how to do that. Yeah, that might be fun. Dora would think that would be a fine gift for Barnabas in particular, actually, oh. as a thank you for having been Renard, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but Barnabas is not Eric. Um, there no, is There but... is a knowledge check we could possibly make, and maybe we should if we want to before okay. we move All on. All these names and people. And yeah. Names, people, and yeah. the floating head floating thing. Head. <laughs> Let's start with the floating head thing. Anybody okay. anybody can make knowledge religion if you got it. Uh, that's a 20. Roni knows what that was. That floating head was a creature called a penangolin. Penangolins are horrific, vampiric monstrosities. By day, they appear to be a normal humanoid woman. But at night, after midnight, the creature's head rips free from the rest of her body, coils of viscera and entrails dangling from her throat as she launches into the air, seeking blood to sate her unholy thirst. Unlike most undead, the penangolin is more akin to a lich in that she willfully abandons both her mortality and morality to become this creature. They are traditionally female spellcasters, and they, boy, uh, they go through a process where they undergo numerous heinous acts that symbolize the casting aside of kindness, benevolence, any semblance of feelings other than cruelty. These rituals call for the repeated consumption of blood, bile, tears, and other fluids drowned from captured and tortured innocence. By day, a penangolin is essentially, for all intents and purposes, indistinguishable from a living woman. They do not detect as undead by day. So they can walk around anywhere and uh, would just be just another person. But we know what she looks like. Yeah, you know what her face looks like. The head doesn't change. The head does not change. So that's no why they want to go after. That's why they want to go after midnight. Let's see. You would know a few things about their abilities. Are they immune to mind affecting spells? <laughs> <laughs> They're undead. So that answers your question. But are they when they're in there? They don't detect as undead, but they still are undead. So I have insider information here. I know not to use that spell on her. <laughs> when you see her. When I see her without using my phrenic pool. Nice. Okay. Okay. But I think you should still ask the question when we first you see know her. No, I will because it will be 10 weeks from now, probably. <laughs> I'll have forgotten. So you know that they are extremely light sensitive. So even if they walk around by day, they probably they probably would wait for overcast days or stick to the shadows. And when they are outside of their body, they are actually staggered when exposed to direct sunlight. It's got to be sunlight. 
You would also know, let's see, in order to effectively hurt them, it requires silvered bladed weapons. So it's got DR overcome by silver and slashing. And then I think I can give you one more. They've got decent resistance to cold and fire. You know, they drain blood. And uh, if they drain a woman, if, if they drain a woman to death, she will rise at the next sunset as a Mananangal. Give me another knowledge religion check to see if Runny knows what their spawn oh are gosh. like. gosh. That's a 29. Okay. You would think of their spawn as being equally, sometimes even more dangerous than the creature that creates them. Menanangals, again, by day, look like a normal living human woman, does not detect as undead. At night... After midnight, oh no, with them it's sun, sunset. After sunset, their upper torso rips away, leaving her lower torso behind. Lower torso is helpless, but the upper torso gains a fly speed and natural attacks. Uh, basically, the upper and lower portions share the same pool of hit points, despite any intervening distance. So if you happen across the stump of a body <laughs> and you can hack Just, it to death and maybe kill the torso somewhere yeah. else, and you would know... <laughs> God. They also drain blood. Ooh, they've got even bigger damage reduction overcome by, in this case, either good aligned or silver weapons. And they are... Hmm, this is fun. They are vulnerable to light blades. Light blades such as daggers, kukris, rapiers, short swords, sickles, etc., deal double the weapon's base damage on a successful hit nice. against a Mananangal. Red Destiny indeed. So, multiple mm. bodies What do Mananangals turn people into? They don't. They just drain oh. them to death. Okay. Uh, so, le- level drain? Um, let's see. On these two things? I'm sure it's con. It's gotta be con. Con. And then some names. I know that we did a shopping trip, but I do want to ask if there's any chance of um, any kind of alchemist having anything that would cover weapons in silver, like the silver sheen stuff that we had before. Yes, Centaur could have a dose of that for sure. Dora has a silver masterwork dagger. Yep. As does Grip. Uh, Grip can't use it. Grip can't use it, though. But he has it. You can give Could it to give Dabs. Could give it to Roni or Dabbler. Yeah. I will take your silver dagger then. Great. And you wanna, do you want to... It is masterwork. You may have mine as well. Thank you. And do you want to buy... Silver Sheen? Buy a Silver Sheen? Yes. Because that can be applied to Red Destiny if you wish. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Done and done. And then, Johnny, why don't you give me, anybody who can, one knowledge local check on some of these names and I will let you know what you know. We already know who Mellison is. The two other names that were mentioned were Rumatri and Wiralai. 26. <laughs> yeah. Roni is fairly certain that at one point he believed Wiralai to be the stranger's true name. <laughs> God. <laughs> Stranger. So the gang's all here. Are we, are we at a level now that. where based on the information that we knew and remembered that we could make uh, another roll on the stranger? 
Yes. That was planes, right? It is planes. Oh, is it? Give me a knowledge planes check. It was jiggy. 32. Nice. Mm-hmm. 28. Mm-hmm. 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 I picture in this moment, too, you're still sitting on that pack of divination cards, right? Oh, yeah, the Harrow deck? Right, so, like, when pondering this question, maybe taking the Harrow deck out and looking closely at that one card that reminded you so much of of the stranger, you are pretty certain that the stranger is a denizen of Leng. Where is Leng, you may ask? Where is Leng? Let's get, uh, let's get super inception-y up in here. We all know what the material plane is, right? In brief, it's it's like where you all are, what we would call the real world. The material world. Though to be more accurate, it's actually the real universe. The universe of mortals, the place where Galarian circles its sun, along with all the other planets like Castravel, uh, which is where the elves f- fled to avoid the cataclysm of Earthfall. It's where Earth is in a galaxy far, far away. It's the playground and testing ground of mortal life. So tucked in adjacent to and coterminous with and kind of inside the material plane is the ethereal plane. We've mentioned this before. If you don't know what that is, it's the half-life plane that exists alongside the material plane. It's where ghosts live. It's where monsters that can see us, but we don't see them live. For me, there has never been a better representation of the ethereal plane than the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. When Frodo puts on the ring, it's this crazy-ass, black-and-white, foggy, confusing place. Uh, That place where he goes is the ethereal plane. You can see everything and everyone on the material plane, but it all seems distant and confusing, and there's stuff there that you kind of wish you didn't have to see. And then one layer deeper is the dimension of dreams. We talked a little bit about this in Act 1. Dora thought of it as a place tucked inside the ethereal plane. (laughs) Basically, what the ethereal plane is to the material plane, the dimension of dreams is to the ethereal plane. Coterminous, adjacent, but even harder to reach, even deeper down. And below that, inside of the dimension of dreams, is the plateau of Leng. It's a demi-plane coterminous with the dimension of dreams. We're talking four layers deep now. It's nearly impossible to reach, but it's also like right there. It's like right inside the thing that's inside the thing that's inside the thing where you currently stand, but you just can't get there from here. Now, the cycle of mortal life has ways to touch some of these planes. If you die, you make your way through the ethereal plane and the astral plane to the river of souls and eventually onto heaven or hell or the or Elysium or the abyss or whatever. And you can also reach the ethereal plane with mortal magic. These The, the spells are, are high-ish level, but you know of them. That's a thing. And mortals can touch, one layer down, the dimension of dreams at times when they fall asleep and their consciousness takes a journey, but there's barely any spells that can get you there. And they're very rare, not commonly known. Um, Dora has seen a couple few spells that make use of the dimension of dreams a little bit in the Chain of Nights. But other than that, Dora would think of the dreaming as a place one could only visit by means of obscenely powerful occult rituals. And then Leng, that's even further down, harder to get to. We know almost nothing about it. These creatures come from there. Dora would know, denizens of Leng, boy oh boy, 
They have such disturbingly unusual anatomy and their anatomy varies from individual to individual and there's a 50% chance, they have a 50% chance to treat any critical hit or sneak attack against it as a normal hit. Their otherworldly teeth and tongues deal 1d6 points of dexterity drain with each bite. They maintain this spiritual connection at all times to the plateau of Lang and it grants them fast healing. If killed, their body dissolves into nothingness, leaving behind its equipment, and they reform four layers down inside Lang. At which point, they presumably heal right back up and can come back and find you. Like immediately? Well, the ways to travel between Plateau of Lang and the Material Plane are so unknown to you, and denizens of Lang are such a rare thing, you would assume it's not that easy. That there's there's probably either a period of time you or... Can, a, you have time to loot their stuff, is what you're <laughs> you saying. Grab their stuff Just and run! To be sure. You would know they're immune to poison, uh, and they have uh, ghastly resistance to cold and electricity. Spell resistance. They do not breathe. <laughs> I think that's about what you know. Cold and electricity? Yep. Hmm. Cold, electricity, poison. <laughs> yeah, yep. Mm, connecting some dots here. This is fun. Yeah, it's a riot. <laughs> <laughs> so as, I can't wait to fight one of these things. As the group of you are checking in with Skywind and making arrangements for Skywind to take the boat out for a day, Dabs is going to head in and get their spell prep done. Are you going by yourself? Are you taking anyone with you? Considering uh, what's going on with the ship, uh, everyone's busy. I'm going to go by myself. Okay. So, Dabwick, and, you know, you're you're in a town, so you can use your blend in, your blending ability to hide in plain sight. And now with your Cloak of Elven Kind, you've got this incredibly high stealth bonus. I could also alter myself to look like any other oh small or medium uh, creature, so humanoid. Um, so, so if I don't want to be noticed, yeah, it would be you very. Just look easy like a regular old fish person of Thrushmore. Yeah, <laughs> generic fish uh, guy. Yeah. So Dabwick's going to find uh, their way to, um, let's see, I think an alleyway. There's that grungy area pretty close down by Pier 19. Yeah, there are some alleys in there that I think are close enough to the ship that you wouldn't feel like, oh boy, if I get in trouble, I'm a long ways away. Close enough. Right. Right. Um, really, Dab- this is Dabwick's uh, um, ritual typically would involve finding an alleyway in a city or a town where they are um, sitting crisscross applesauce and uh, facing one corner to begin to meditate. And are you finding one where there is a mural of Carcosa? Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think there might be a mural of Carcosa right there, too. Yes. To consider the things that they've learned today. Uh, they're still rattled from the day before. There's an ache in their heart to remember how close they came to death so many times. Uh, but preparing for this fight is going to be different from yesterday. And we actually know, we actually may know, what we're up against this time. Dabuk tries to recall for a moment one of Casimir's numerous alleyways, but 
Something about the fight in the keep the day before is weighing on them. And they think instead of Corganbeer, the insane city of fey creatures that lurks directly under Casimir. Madness and violence, and they don't want to think about it, but this is where the town of Thrushmore is guiding their understanding this evening. And they must follow this memory until the connection is made clear. So when they hear a voice from their past, the voice of Irost Cold Fury, they remember his lumpy face and bushy eyebrows, and a shuddering sigh breaks from their chest. Dabwick hugs themselves tight and makes out a phrase. I gotta hand it to you, Dabs. Memories sometimes have a way of coming to mind in 4K HD and surround sound, right? <laughs> Dabwick's memories during meditation have a similar effect, and the feelings and the thoughts of the past are vivid. Irost is tapping out his pipe against the stone archway bordering the Admiral's Fen district while rolling out a new pinch of tobacco in the other hand. He's always multitasking. For such an unassuming man, in such a tattered coat, he's always got something going on with his hands. I gotta hand it to you, Dabs. Your instincts are always on the level. Aye? Watch for odd groupings of crows and rats. You were right. I found the right path. Inspector Irost Coldfury was a P.I. in Admiral's Fen. Dabwick and Irost became acquainted when Inspector Coldfury opened their public office. Dabwick performed the final inspection. (laughs) In the years since, Irost grew to recognize and respect Dabwick's unique talents, even if it meant enduring their eccentric personality. Iros didn't dislike Dabwick, but he did find them irritating. (laughs) (laughs) This afternoon, however, he seemed eager to engage Dabwick and share his exciting news. There's an entrance to Corkinbeer right where you suspected. In the shadows between the Fountain Gate and Old Gatsby. Yes! (laughs) He coughed, laughing and blowing out smoke, biting his pipe with his teeth, waving out a match with one hand and fiddling with something in his coat pocket with the other. I believe it's the route all Thiel and his cronies are using to access the surface. I gotta ask you, though. I get why the rats are attracted to the area. The, the, the smell coming up the shaft is wretched. But tell me, Dabs, what's what's with the crows? What's the deal there? Oh, oh, see? I suspected the Darrow aren't interested in keeping track of their victims' personal trinkets and things, right? And crows are terrific scavengers. <laughs> They'll return to a place where they can regularly collect pretty things. So if all those poor souls are being taken through the same path, there must be a collection of shiny buttons and pins and buckles in the crow's nest nearby, methinks. Did we crack the case? Inspector Cold Fury, what, what will you do next? Uh, I, was, I was figuring I'd have to investigate further if I have any hope of making headway in this missing persons case. Dabwick, I, I don't mind telling you, I don't want to go in alone. I don't want to go alone. If you're interested, I could I could ask you to come with me. You'd be paid well. We'd be in the rescue business, which I know you like. Are you interested? The invitation was incredibly exciting. Go with the inspector, like a sidekick. <laughs> Dabwick considered the Undercity too dangerous to venture into alone, but with someone as experienced and powerful as the inspector, the prospect wasn't interesting. It was thrilling. 
And Inspector Cold Fury needed the help. Reports of kidnappings in the area had been festering for years, and Cold Fury had two open missing persons cases that he was able to trace back to a Darrow alchemist named Twain, a three-armed woman with a reputation for gruesome experiments. Twain had a ring of kidnappers working for her, run by a snaky little Darrow called Althiel, a mesmerist. The inspector decided he wasn't only going to finish his contracts, he wanted to try to stop Athiel's ring altogether, and Dabs agreed to join. That night, entering the tunnel, Dabwick drank their dark vision potion and followed Cold Fury closely. The inspector wore magic goggles that gave him the ability to see in the dark, and they passed into the deep without attracting attention. Cold Fury had to duck to adjust to the height of the passage, not an issue for Dabwick, and they snuck their way forward and down like this for about a quarter of a mile before they came to a series of networked tunnels. Cold Fury's level of skill was shocking. Stealth and agility that belied his daily persona in the light of day, a small arsenal of concealed weapons and traps and tools. That night, Dabwick didn't know it, but they discovered there was a leveled vigilante living in Admiral Sven. And they vowed secretly to themselves that they would honor Iroth's trust and keep his secret, even if they were practically giddy to realize the truth. <laughs> Together they made their way, taking out unsuspecting Darrow guards, avoiding groups and gatherings, listening for cues and looking for clues until they circled their way back to Althiel's holding cells. The plan was to crack the locks any way they could and lead the people out the way they came in. Cold Fury had left recognizable markers at each turn to help make the journey back easier to navigate. Everything was going according to plan, and they were going to do it. They were going to rescue people from this horrible situation. They were going to be heroes. It was reasonable to assume the prisoners would be in bad shape. They had prepared themselves to leave those people whose bodies were too broken to survive. What they hadn't really understood was the mental torture the prisoners would have been forced to endure. So much so that in most cases the prisoners might be physically able to escape and live the rest of their natural lives, but their minds would never be the same. When Dabwick and Cold Fury finally rounded the corner unnoticed, they came upon a menagerie of twitching, drooling, screaming, laughing inmates in an abattoir asylum. A great cavern lined with iron cages, the cages packed with humanoids, but not all the beings in them were alive, and, and of those alive, barely any of them had a look of anything resembling self-awareness in their eyes. They were hairless or shaved, and they had red, angry scars drawn on their scalps, some of them weeping blood through scabby stitches. They scratched at their scabs and stared into the distance, shitting themselves or laughing until they vomited, gibbering aimlessly into the darkness, some even cannibalizing their dead cellmates. Dabwick's heart fell. Cold Fury snapped into action and called out in common. Who here can understand the sound of my voice? Come to the front of your cell if you can understand me. He began heading to the first cell, producing movement, and Dabwick came out of their shock to join him. We're here! We're here! Help us, please! We're your citizen. I'm going to open the cage and I want you to run through that tunnel there. Look for this mark at each intersection to tell you the way to go. Do not stop. Do not look back until you breathe clean air again, no matter what you see. Do you understand me? Cold Fury, is that you? Yes, sir. We can do that. We can do that. Come on. You go first. I'll follow. Who the fuck 
are you? Althiel had climbed into the room unnoticed from a tunnel hidden beneath a rock that blended into the walls of the cavern. Cold Fury was just popping the rusty padlock on the cage when Althiel shot him with a bolt from his small crossbow. The inspector's strength was sapped immediately and he cried out in pain as Althiel loaded another bolt. He glared at Dabwick, locking them in their mesmerous stare, allowing Dabwick to know what's happening to them as Dabwick feels their will drain out beneath them. Three of the prisoners had enough awareness of what was happening to take the opportunity to run. Cold Fury staggered to a fighting position and threw a tanglefoot bag, but they couldn't fight off the poison and their aim was compromised. Frightened, Dabwick summoned a floating rock to protect themselves from being targeted and began to retreat after the prisoners. But before they could leave, Dabwick saw Althiel advance on Cold Fury, shooting him a second time with his crossbow and hitting again with his poison-tipped bolts. Cold Fury called out in pain and Dabwick couldn't run. They dropped the rock shield and summoned a wall of water that shoved the Darrow to the ground, knocking his crossbow from his hand. The combat that followed was brutal. Dabs nearly killed Althiel, but the fucker escaped. And when they finally had a moment to come to Cold Fury's side, it was too late. He had succumbed to his wounds and the Darrow's poison. Dabwick hadn't had his back. And Iroh's Cold Fury was lost. A huge blow for the whole city. On their way back to the surface, Dab found out that the prisoners were reeling from some kind of magical memory loss caused by Althiel's techniques. Making use of the inspector's office, Dabwick had to find ways to comfort and care for them until their minds unclouded and they could return to their lives, all the while wrestling with Cold Fury's death and Althiel's escape and all they might have done differently if they were more powerful or more experienced. Coming out of the memory, Dabwick finds their gaze falling on the angles of the gables supporting the roof, and they discover that they understand that having more allies on hand in battle, especially when dealing with close combat, can tip the scales in your favor when the odds seem dire. They prepare summon nature's ally three for later and they swear that this time they will not run they will not let up and that's the end of chapter 62 we'll pick up here next time thanks Polly that was great yay Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tags. Season good. two tag. <laughs>